0: To find out if it's right for you,
1: fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT thriller.
0: You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts Eric Shapiro. David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on KCB, 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and one
2: hundred five oh AM Palm Springs. Uh, The who, what, why.org creator, and I, I believe he runs it, And we're going to talk about one of his books, uh, Family of Secrets, uh, The Bushes. Uh, We've got Russ Baker. Thank you for being here.
3: My pleasure. And uh, for whatever it's worth, I'll just say I just got back from Miami. How's (laughs) that?
2: Well, you made it out alive, so.
3: (laughs) Which isn't easy. Uh,
2: You know, I was going to say your who, what, why, dot org is an important site, I think, Um, because it's hard to find uh, news or information, and it has been that way for a few years, Uh, but it's hard to find reliable, and and there's so much garbage. Um, I think people have a real problem deciding, and for some reason they're lazy. Uh, People do not like to double-check things. They just see something and run with it. Um, is that what made you get into that business?
3: Yeah, I mean, lazy is the operative term. I mean, I don't want to be the curmudgeon here, but lazy is the normal state of things. And I don't care what kind of institution it is, whether it's journalism or historians or academia or anything else. Most people are lazy. And they're looking for an easy ride. And unfortunately, that causes consequences for the rest of us. And we we see that certainly in situations with safety, uh, where you want to see some vigilance. Uh, You can't afford lazy with air traffic controllers and and many other things. we really can't afford it with facts. And uh, that's why I started Who, What, Why? Because I was always about digging and trying to understand things and i discovered very early on that when you do that everybody starts gunning for you uh because you you kind of embarrass the rest of them for you know again for basically being lazy um, that's the formula and if we watch uh television journalism i mean so much of it is just people kind of expressing opinions uh em- the emphasis on conflict uh gossip that type of thing there really is very little effort to probe much of anything, and I, I think a perfect example of it would be to take, let's say, the whole conflict over the the border, uh, and instead of taking sides and saying, you know, you, you should have this wall, you shouldn't have this wall, would be to just ask, what's the efficacy of it? What's the priority of it? What is? What are the facts that would warrant uh, some kind of uh, urgent concern about that over, say, other things that are going on? And so that's the kind of thinking that we bring to why.
1: So, so do you consider the website to be more policy analysis and you try to start with what's the outcome and then move backwards from that to the politics?
3: I wouldn't want to say that because that sounds so boring. Everybody's just going to stop listening to us.
1: Well, I'm a professor, so. so. <laughs> I,
3: yeah, I, 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 I would say that what we do is we're interested in understanding what's going on. Um, and if that's policy analysis, okay. But, I mean, I, I just think we take a very – fresh eyed look at things and our ears are uh peeled and we're, we're listening to things and we're going hmm so uh you know we 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 don't rush to judgment on anything and we dig and uh what i find is that people uh on both sides of the spectrum and then people who are going after each other for different kinds of things like theories uh are are also uh you know sort of taking those shortcuts and not really asking the questions and we think that we're serving the public. Who, what, why is a uh, 501c3 non-profit organization. We don't accept any advertising. I think we're very, very clean. And our whole purpose is to try to figure out what's going on and why. And I think the why is extremely interesting, because that's, of course, where most people don't want to go, uh, because that starts going into powerful people and uh, networks of influence and so on. And uh, it makes uh, institutions uncomfortable. It makes uh, powerful and wealthy people uncomfortable, and uh, in, a, in a society where it's driven largely by the uh, influence uh, and preferences of those sectors, um, it's it's kind of a non-starter in most places. It's very very difficult to do this type of thing.
1: Now, if you, you now you have a lot of different people writing for who, what, why. Uh, if you were to look over the breadth of them of your authors where do you think the ideologies are falling do you have people from several different viewpoints or do you t- tend to lean more left
3: we we're not interested in any of that i mean we are interested in you know for example we were looking at the uh, that story about the uh, sonic uh, supposed sonic harassment or torture or something in cuba mm-hmm. i'm sure it's you've heard it's back in the news now affecting uh the people working uh, uh in the um, US interest section there where they were supposedly having ear you know ear problems uh and then the store then it came out that somebody was doing this was uh was targeting them with some kind of auditory uh, uh stimuli uh... and then uh, over time the sense was that the russians were doing this and so on and now it, it, and i don't think it's definitive yet at all but now uh, some uh... so-called experts are beginning to say that actually what it may have been was are you ready dot 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 crickets the sound of cuban crickets is apparently picked up by equipment it's a very intense sound now I like that story because there's a lesson there, which is, you know, don't rush to judgment on these things. Don't start pointing fingers. Uh, and, you know, I, I think ideology is where people say, you know, if they're uh, pro-Trump right now, then they're the same people who are so virulently anti-Russian. Now they're all very uh, sanguine about Russia. Uh, you know, Putin can do no wrong because he's a friend of Trump's. And so, you know, and then and then you have the MSNBC types who are all, you know, new cold warriors who are exactly the opposite. So that is the kind of insincere, uh, you know, ideological spin on a dime. You like somebody, they serve your interests or whatever. That's exactly what we don't do. And so I don't think we have any writers who are like that. If we get a whiff that somebody has an agenda on a story, we don't want it. Now, let me say by the same token, we also don't like that old-fashioned uh, he said, she said. Journalism, where they take two different parties or two different interests or organizations, and they treat them equally when they shouldn't. Um, you know, when you're uh, when you're interviewing people from a big company, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't believe what they're saying. But I mean, they're a for-profit enterprise. They've got PR people, and their their purpose for existence is to uh, is to uh, generate profits. And, I, you know, I know because I have a lot of friends who work in PR, your, your job is to make the company look good and minimize problems. So if that's your source, you've got to take that into account. If you're talking to uh, uh, an organization that is a nonprofit or is essentially serving the public interest, whether it's like a human rights group or an environmental group or something, it doesn't mean you have to believe them. Uh, th- but the likelihood that they're completely lying Or covering something up is not, I think, generally as high as it's gonna be some company like, uh, uh, you know, Johnson & Johnson with this, uh, new, uh, uh, with this new, uh, carcinogen thing around the baby, well it's not new, around the baby powder or the tobacco companies around tobacco. I mean, we now know that they were lying knowingly and covering up what their own scientists were telling them for decades. So I think we've gotta learn from experience. And and understand that, you know, a tobacco company may be able to come to you and say, these people are exaggerating something about us. There's no way we could have known. And you should look at it and give them, I think, a benefit of a doubt. But on the other hand, don't be naive about it.
1: So it's interesting that you brought up the uh, Cuba um, auditory attacks um, because there was doctors from uh, University of Miami down here that were down there treating them. And I've been reading some of the reports, and it's still not clear what happened. And a lot of people think it was just psychosomatic, that that somebody might have gotten sick or gotten the idea that they were having some sort of auditory problem, and then everyone else started saying they were having it too. And I guess that that could be a cricket issue um, as well, but it's... Sometimes these these things, as you point out, it's not the case that we're ever going to, you know, something happens and we know what caused it right away. Sometimes it takes a long time to uh, for people to go in and do careful study before we ever know anything.
3: Well, that's a, that's absolutely right, and that's the same thing about journalism. It's uh, I, I guess you'd call us the slow food of journalism. I mean. to, To be in the game, it's usually a breaking news, rapid response thing. The problem is you don't know anything. And so when anything happens, you see that kind of quick, uh, you know, wire service type or TV, you know, breathless. Okay, something's going on. The SWAT team is going in. Uh, here's what we know. They, you know, if you watch the television thing, they've got programming that's supposed to be on all day. Uh, everybody's watching for information. They're suddenly selling tons of ads, so it's a very lucrative situation. And they're told keep those people watching, you know, but they don't have any information, so they're operating with very very thin material. And my idea with who, what why is that we don't get involved in anything until we look at it. And and a classic example and we can talk about these kind of things was we've seen these stories. Where they always claim that they figured out who the culprit is instantly, uh, and if you ask any questions about it and you break from the pack, you get called. And I know your your guest that uses this term conspiracy theory, uh, which is a which is an insult intended to shut down conversation. There there are a lot of nuts out there, people who uh, ascribe wild. Uh, theories to things, but there also are conspiracies everywhere. Uh, it's the nature of life. It's the nature of organizations. They're prosecuted every day, uh, in courthouses throughout the land. And so, you know, we see these cases where there's a rush to claim always within some window of 48 hours they got them, you know. And we say, well, why is it that the FBI is so amazing compared to everybody else? Everything else seems to take a long time, but they're always so quick. Not only are they so quick, but there's tremendous pressure to shut down any kind of debate or extra analysis or whatever, and I think this causes a lot of people in society to feel uncomfortable. They feel that, that something is being suppressed, uh, and this sometimes sends people in the wrong direction. So I see who, what, why as very much of a, a sort of a uh, truth broker, you might say, where we're trying to say to people, you know, we're not saying anything wild. We're not accepting any pat establishment formulation. We're going to be very calm about this. We're going to look at this stuff. We're going to do our due diligence with an open mind, and we're going to figure it out. And however long it takes, it takes.
2: Well, I was just going to say, but don't how how are we going to train people to take their time to analyze and actually understand things? Because uh, right now, everything's of the moment. Drop off, and and they're gonna already have made up their mind before you give them the real information.
3: Uh, they are. I mean, there's a small percentage of the public in the United States, and I'm going to say of the population of the world, and probably throughout history, always it's it's it could be under five percent who are really open-minded and who really don't have an agenda of trying to go along or get along or be seen on the on the on the on the beach reading that book that everybody's talking about because it was on npr or whatever you know most people are are uh, sadly not uh... fully they have not fully embraced their individuality and their ability to think for themselves you know people tell me this all the time and I think folks are surprised right here in New York City where you have one of the supposedly most literate populations in the United States and and in the world people who went to supposedly the best schools and as you talk to them you find out that they're actually intellectually incurious that they are very fascinated with prestige and so if you know if you've got an interesting thing to say and they didn't see you on their favorite TV show or you don't have the right brand they they don't even want to talk to you I mean I, I remember coming to new york as a californian uh and people would say oh where'd you go to school and and i i would say ucla which was my undergrad and there would be a silence and they'd say oh uh uh-huh uh and i could feel their disappointment which i thought you know forget (laughs) them i mean ucla is what one of the 20 best schools in the country but it's a it's a state university out west we don't have uh ivy league and the, the best schools are, t- are state schools, but not to those people with that Eastern mindset. And so then I would pause, and then I'd add, and I have my masters from Columbia, and they'd all go, oh, great. They literally, <laughs> like that, great, they would just enthuse, just rapturous over the idea that, that, that I had been touched with the golden paw of the, of the elites. You know, and and this is just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous, and it's the way people are. And and I know, you know, it's like my book, Family of Secrets. uh, You know, I had to put the blurb on the cover from Gore Vidal because you know now people are willing to take a look at it. Otherwise, you know, they're not going to take the time to assess the material because they don't have any they don't have any familiar reference points.
1: So let's get to the book, I guess. So talking about George H.W. Bush, I mean, recently he passed. Um, your view of him um, isn't quite that rosy. Um, what's sort of interesting is that, uh, you know, he he lost re-election and then now he passes and it, it seems as though the coverage was incredibly rosy of him in the media. Um, I guess there were a few sparks of criticism. Uh, I guess the way that, that Reagan-Bush and then and then the Bush administration following that dealt with things like AIDS and then a few other uh, foreign policy issues. Um, what's what's the main take from your book on George H. W. Bush?
3: Well, basically, what the public knows about him is. I'm going to say less than 5% of the reality. This is what I discovered when I went in again with an open mind. I had no agenda. I didn't really know anything about him except what everybody else had heard. I started looking at the sun. I was fascinated by the sun because whatever you want to say about him and I did find him sort of a charming and likable fellow in some ways, but he didn't bring to the job any kind of a resume of 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 uh, of, of successes in anything. And and uh, he had been helped all the time by these networks of people surrounding his family. He had every privilege and every opportunity. And he also screwed up a lot of things. And so I thought, I'm just interested in the fact that this man became president of the United States and then got reelected after it was discovered that he'd taken the United States into a war under false pretenses. So I just said, there's got to be more to this story. So I, I began on this quest. And I began discovering things about the sun, about George W. or Bush 43, that didn't comport with what the media, academia, uh, textbooks, historians had told us. And the more I dug into this, the more I thought, you know, this reminds me of every other story I've done where we're basically sort of being lied to and we're being given this kind of sugary baloney uh, even by these liberals. And I just thought, you know, this is really, really bad. And so as I dug in him, I found that he had done all these things that had been covered up and that his father had helped him. And so I became more interested in the father. And then I started saying, how is it that this family uh, got, you know, between the presidency and the vice presidency, they were in the White House 20 out of 24 consecutive years, I mean, never been, never happened before in history. And I said, of all the families of all the people who could have had that kind of power, why them? looked at the son, tried to figure out how he got in power, had to end up looking more at the father, as you say, George H.W. Bush. And as I looked at him, I started charting his rise from the presidency back through the vice presidency. Before that, he was the director of the CIA. At each step, I asked, how did he get this? Like, how did he become president? Answer, he became president because he was vice president. How did he become vice president? And by the way, everything showed he was not electable. Uh, if he He ran for president on his own, and he lost. But once he convinced Reagan, who was his enemy, was very interesting, that he took him as vice president, uh, eventually, uh, you know, Reagan, uh, finished his term and then, and then Bush was able to, to win a single term. And so I was very interested in him and i thought he only became president because he was vice president how did he become vice president and i began digging into him and i discovered you know the really the only he, the only reason he could way he could have been vice president was because he held i guess it would have been the directorship of the cia that was his that was his national visible position and then i realized he was only cia director for a single year yet even though others had served much longer than him they named the cia headquarters after him i said well that's odd and then i looked at uh, how how had he become cia director because if you read the clips, he knew nothing about intelligence. He hadn't served on those committees. He hadn't worked in intelligence. He knew nothing about it. it. Didn't make any sense to me. I started digging in and I began going through things. I went through his own records, his businesses, and everything else. And I spent years doing this. I spent five years on what became Family of Secrets, and I discovered all kinds of things about him that just totally blew me away and in a nutshell, because I know we don't have the time to go into it in detail. I discovered that actually the not the seemingly nonsensical choice of him as CIA director a guy who supposedly knew nothing about it made actually made sense because it turned out he had a secret background and a secret background which had never been reported before and i might say has never been reported to this day by major media although it, there's you know 1200 footnotes in my book and everything comes from their own documents is that he was a CIA officer he was some kind of officer or asset whatever you want to call it for about Twenty-five, thirty years before he was named as a supposed outsider, that when he was a congressman, when he was a diplomat, when he was uh, the head of the Republican Party, when he was in the uh, offshore drilling business, that was all. Uh, I'm not saying he wasn't doing those jobs. But it was essentially what they call cover. That he was a he was a, a winning, uh, uh, uh... worker in the intelligence apparatus, and of course, the whole nature of intelligence is you have to have cover. Uh, you can't announce who you are, so everybody is, you know, working for General Motors or this or that, or the guy who was uh, recently arrested in Russia, you know, with his four passports, you know, working for a big American company and doing things that don't seem to have anything to do with his job. That's the way it works. So I discovered this about George H.W. Bush, and then from there it was one shocker after another, and, you know, Family of Secrets is about 600 pages of shockers you will not read anywhere else. Uh, I was told by all the major media this was outstanding and tremendously interesting, and then after they booked me, uh, superiors at all the shows started canceling. And that was this sort of what I would call conspiracy of silence, which is everybody is complicit, you know, uh, in the U.S. establishment, which is you make an agreement, you know, if you can have a show on MSNBC, you can be as liberal as you want, but you don't talk about things... That are really going to rattle people that are not part of the conversation. Uh, n- other interpretations of history, other explanations—all that is supposed to be left well enough alone.
1: So, have you faced a complete media blackout because of uh, <laughs> because of what you've uncovered?
3: <laughs> I, as I say, I mean that's what happened, and it's it basically. Let me put it this way: most people who are successful are cowards, and they get into their position, and you're told. Don't touch that thing. I've had the same thing. When I was working on this book, uh, You know, I was told repeatedly by people, I beg you, leave out the stuff about the Kennedy assassination. Leave out the stuff about Watergate. I said, that's the best stuff. I've got tons of documents here. I've got hundreds of interviews. And they said, you know, you may be right. It's just too hot. And they were telling me, you're, you're a talented guy, you got a lot of opportunities, just play ball. You can do other things. You can take the low-hanging fruit, and that's good enough. That's the nature of the system. It's very, very dirty. It's very cowardly and pathetic. It is how things work. It's the way things have always been.
1: So I sort of feel special that, that we've been courageous enough to have you on. So we're sort of well, bucking the feel, trend. You,
3: you, you are, and you should feel special. And I will tell you, thank God for radio, and thank God particularly for independent radio, because I've been on hundreds of radio shows. Television, I think I was on three things. And in terms of the majors, I was on MSNBC once, uh, and I was on there. They only wanted me to talk about W, not about H uh, W and W was leaving office that week, and the fellow had me on, and he let me reveal some pretty shocking things about W, uh, and and he let me do it. You know, we had a great little you know three minute or five minute segment, and uh, uh, it got really good ratings. And not that long later, uh, his show was canceled.
1: <laughs> so, 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 okay, well that doesn't bode well for us. So. No. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So, so, watch so I, guess
1: out. I, I guess I want to ask you the hot-button question then, but if we're not on the air next week, you'll know why. But um, okay. So you mentioned the Kennedy assassination. What's what's the uh, connection between George H.W. Bush and the Kennedy assassination?
3: Well, let me start out by saying that I'm like every other journalist. A very few journalists re- You know, look, most journalists don't are not intellectuals. I mean, I, I, I guess maybe I am. I don't know. I don't really call myself one, but people have referred to me that way. I love to read. Uh most journalists don't read a lot. They're watching sports. They're like everybody else, drinking a beer, you know, they're 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 relaxing for downtime. And journalism is mostly just chasing the story. So there isn't a lot of understanding of history, of more complex concepts. There really isn't. And that's how they're able to relate to their audience by the way. Uh is that they're kind of regular people. Um, and this means that we don't know a lot about uh other analysis or alternative explanations of things and so i like i had heard from the system that you know lee harvey oswald shot kennedy and there was nothing more to the story And i was sort of vaguely aware of some kind of debate about this but it didn't really appeal to me i never paid any attention and then i just while i was doing this book uh... i discovered certain things including the fact that george h w bush Uh, in an interview was, he was asked, what do you remember about the day Kennedy shot? What were your reactions? Let's start with this. Where were you when you heard? And he kind of blanched. He went white and he wasn't expecting the question and he claimed he couldn't remember where he was that day, which immediately got my attention because I think he was like 42 years old or something at the time. And he was in Texas. He was an adopted Texan. Uh, he had adopted the state and he was running (laughs) that year for uh the u.s senate seat from texas opposing uh the democrats opposing kennedy and he was traveling around the state and i just thought that is just ludicrous really impossible and uh, another author had written that uh, he actually was in a town called tyler texas and uh, giving a speech
0: selling a little or a lot For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
3: the time, and I became very interested in that. I began studying all of it, and what I found was just right out of a thriller. I discovered, and this is all documented uh, in the photos in the book, I discovered uh, a, a newspaper clipping showing that he was attending an event in Dallas uh, the night of the 21st, and the next time he shows up is in Tyler, Texas, the afternoon after Kennedy's been killed, and he, this is kind of amazing, he goes to a phone and he calls the FBI, and he's identified by name, George H.W. Bush of da 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 da, Breyer, you know, Houston, Texas, oil man, you know, it's all clear who he is. He calls the FBI office in Houston, not in Dallas where the shooting was, not in Washington, he calls in Houston, and he tells this man who takes the call that he, you know, he they hadn't arrested anyone yet and he had some he wanted to offer a tip on who might have shot kennedy now here you got the same man who became president of the united states claims he can't remember where he was when he heard turns out secretly he called the fbi to say i not only know where i am i might know who shot the president that that is something that you can only say maybe out of the entire population population of the United States, maybe 10 people, let's say, or, or 100 people might have claimed something like that. And it turned out that the man that he was identifying clearly had nothing to do with it. He knew he had nothing to do with it. And he actually helped, through a chain of circumstances, clear the man. So he was putting the man's name into the records. He was putting himself into the records as being helpful, as being in this town of Tyler, I discovered that he had arrived at Tyler, we believe it was shortly before he made the phone call. He was on the private plane of a man named Joe Zeppa, who ran a company called Delta Drilling Company. And since the book came out, I've learned a lot more about Joe Zeppa and Delta Drilling, and it was, again, a CIA uh, uh, apparatus. So we've got him in Spain with Franco doing all kinds of projects for cover for other things. So this just opened up this Pandora's box. And I could go on and on and on. There's so was he involved in the
1: assassination in some way? I mean, is that you know, is that I, what I you're don't, getting at?
3: Let, 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 me, let me put it this way. We've identified a whole bunch of of CIA people who were who were removed by Kennedy, who were either in Dallas that day, in Dallas that week, in Dallas that month, including Alan Dulles, the CIA director, who was fired by Kennedy. Uh, all of these people were in and out of Texas in the month before Um, So we've identified, when I say we, it's myself, some of the researchers who work with me, and other authors have done pieces of this. I don't want to say I'm the only one. Massive, massive amounts of evidence. I mean, if I were convening a grand jury and presenting this stuff, they'd, they'd immediately indict. Um, and you know of course if you look at the cia and then you know everybody wants to say well that's conspiracy theory that's l- lunacy no you're the lunatic because what did the cia do in the 1970s under the church committee it was they were forced to reveal that they had been lying to congress and the american people for decades and without any permission at all except maybe on a deniable basis from eisenhower uh, they had been going to foreign countries and meddling and overthrowing democratically elected people and basically participating directly or indirectly in their assassination. And so they considered assassination was, was part of their toolkit, removing democratically elected people who were seen as threatening American interests, which is usually the interests of a handful of large corporations. That was their uh, M.O., and so all that happens when you look at Dallas is it's the same thing except it's happening domestically. And so the issue becomes, is it impossible that all these people, and including all these uh, finance types and these these uh, corporate people who openly and spoke admiringly of uh, removing Allende and, uh, and, and Mossadegh and uh, uh, Lumumba and on and on, dozens of these people all over the world, they thought this was the greatest thing to go in and remove people who the people of their country uh, had elected. And in some cases, uh, you know, ZM and Vietnam, you know, in some cases, it, a lot of them died. Uh, they thought this was terrific, and they were very open admiring about it. So the only question is, if the stakes were high in this country, and if the president of the United States was viewed as a traitor, as a socialist, as somebody who was harming their interests, would they just leave them alone, or would they uh, be true their own uh, behavior, and that really is where we have to decide if we're going to suspend uh, our sense of disbelief, uh, and we can, we can discuss that, but I think what it really comes down to is the evidence is massive, and I should tell you, by the way, there's a statement about to be released, I don't, I don't want to say too much about it, but it, it is signatories from uh, academia and publishing and politics uh, and the families related to these things, uh, all making a statement that uh, they've all decided that, in fact, uh, there was uh, an organized removal of the President of the United States.
1: So, but I guess what I'm not clear on is the motive. So why would they say we want to get rid of Kennedy because he's too far to the left for us and, and we'll take Johnson instead? Like, what, like, what's the motivating factor there?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I could write, I'm not giving you a thousand-page book on the motivation. The, the, you know, I have in Family of Secrets, by the way, I've got a whole chapter on the motivation, listing so many things. The uh, the brothers Kennedy, John and Robert, were really extraordinary people, and, and uh, uh, the media and academia have basically smeared them with a false history. If you go and you really, with an open mind, you look at what they did, they were, um, you know, from a wealthy family, uh, and, you know, whatever you want to say about their personal uh, dating habits, or some of which is exaggerated, by the way, all these efforts to sort of make them look like people you shouldn't respect or take seriously, they were very serious guys. And uh, the brother, Robert, you know, worked for the uh, Rackets Committee with Senator Kefaufer, and he was very early investigating the role of organized crime. In in, in in organized labor. Uh and John F. Kennedy as a young man, as a as a young senator, even before that as a member of the House, was a great admirer of self determination movements in other countries. And he uh traveled and he visited these places and he loved the idea that people would be not part of the Soviet bloc or necessarily close allies of the US. They would just go their own way. He thought this was terrific. And so that was, you know, really extremely idealistic. Of uh, uh, both of them, and i 'm not going to say they didn 't play hardball too because you don 't get to the top unless you compromise and do probably some things you shouldn 't but they clearly if you study them, they were uh you know when when they got into office, they were taking on everybody, and you find out they went after the sugar lobby, the oil depletion allowance lobby uh they went after. Uh, I mean, J. Edgar Hoover was an ally of organized crime. The head of the CIA, head of the FBI he used to say there was no such thing as organized crime, and no wonder, because he was taking free vacations from them um, and being blackmailed by them. And so you go on and on and on, different industries, insurance and steel, and they went after everybody. The Justice Department had antitrust, uh, uh most antitrust, aggressive antitrust maybe in the history of the United States. They were just totally busting these guys. They were going after everybody. Uh, they uh, were not inclined to pursue uh, lucrative opportunities for this, what Eisenhower called the military-industrial complex. They were resisting on many, many fronts. Uh, Lyndon Johnson was the complete opposite. He was totally corrupt. You read Robert Caro on him, many, many books. Lyndon Johnson was totally corrupt. He basically was a criminal. And he'd risen to the top, and these were all his friends. And he was a traitor in their house. He couldn't wait to take over. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, you, there, there's, there's all this history. You know, there's the heads of, you know, David Rockefeller and this one and that one going to the White House and, 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 uh, remonstrating, uh, John F. Kennedy, you know, right, right in front of everybody just, you know, saying you're, you know, get off of your kid's tricycle. You know, I mean, incredibly rude comments you know, show some backbone, do this, do that, you know, you're disgraceful, taking out full-page ads, calling them traitors. Uh, I mean, this is, we've never seen anything like this, and the language that's being used against, say, Trump, or it was used against Obama, is nothing compared to the vilification at the time of the Kennedys, and it was mostly being engineered by people who were what you might call special interests.
1: So this cabal, I take it, you say was behind the assassination of John Kennedy, do you think they killed Robert Kennedy too?
3: You know, I'm very careful about all these things. I can just tell you that the particulars, and there's a, a new book uh, by Lisa Peace, I haven't read it yet, I know Lisa's a good researcher, about the uh, Sirhan Sirhan thing. And it, that's another story where, you know, I thought Sirhan Sirhan did it. It turns out to be very complicated. I think he was involved, but it looks like uh, he was uh, uh, somehow drugged or hypnotized and part of some larger thing the uh, the the uh, coroner of Los Angeles indicated that the shot to Robert Kennedy the shot that killed him came from very close range but behind his right ear well you just have to look at the picture because Sirhan Sirhan is in front of him is facing him so obviously if that if the coroner's right it couldn't have been Sirhan now there are all these eyewitnesses who claim as many as 3 or 4 Different shooters there. So that's all I could tell you. I'm not an expert on it. Uh, the Martin Luther King story is another one where, uh, you know, I, I think it's entirely possible that Ray was involved or either wittingly or unwittingly, but these guys get set up and this is how they do it in, you know, when you talk to people who live in other countries like Pakistan or India or whatever, and if you say, The president was shot. Who do you, you know, in the United States, you say the president was shot. Who do you think did it? Every professor who wants to keep their job say it was a disgruntled loner. Okay, now that's just stupid because statistically, if you think about who has most of an agenda to get rid of a powerful person, it's another powerful person. And if you ask people who live in any other country, and I include the professors, they will all say it was probably the military or the spy agencies or some other uh, segment of the ruling class. They will tell you that everywhere. They'll tell you that in Sweden. They'll tell you that in Africa. It's only in the United States where we live in this total fantasy land, where we think that deranged loners are always, you know, and by the way, almost every president of the United States, if you go back, somebody tried to kill them. Gerald Ford, uh, they try with Nixon, they try with Obama. and it was always some disgruntled person supposedly. And you know obviously I mean if I were going to do it, I wouldn't go and you know and if I was a powerful person, I wouldn't go and do it myself. I'd try to figure out how I could get it done and get it blamed on somebody else.
1: So was the Reagan was the attempt on Reagan's life? was that was that the same thing too? Was that some other powerful person well, trying to have him killed?
3: Well, so it's interesting to me that you, I guess you don't know uh, the details about John Hinckley, but I didn't even put this in my book, Family of Secrets, because it was so disturbing that I was like, that's even too disturbing for me. I finally wrote it for our website, Who, What, Why, and you could read it there. Uh, John Hinckley's family were very close friends of the Bushes.
1: So you think the Bushes may have sent John Hinckley Jr. to assassinate President
3: Reagan? I don't know, but I can just tell you. George H.W. Bush had wanted to be president of the United States since 1976, at least. Uh, and now, you know, uh, I'm sorry, since earlier, since earlier he expressed this. In 1968, I discovered from some papers I obtained, that uh, in 1968, when Nixon was running for president, uh, George H.W. Bush was trying to convince him to make him his vice president. Nobody even heard of George H.W. Bush. He was like a one-term congressman. And there was all this letter-writing campaign from big corporations to Nixon saying, take... George H.W. Bush as vice president and later on when I think it was Ehrlichman uh, asked Nixon why did you take somebody like Spiro Agnew he was you know he was corrupt he was awful in every respect and Nixon according to whoever this was Ehrlichman replied assassination insurance in other words you take somebody like that uh nobody wants to get rid of you and that's a very interesting thing because uh Roger Stone he's a friend of Trump's uh who's written books on these things and uh think think whatever you want about Roger, but I mean he told uh, Trump all these stories, and look, Trump Trump took Pence, (laughs) no, not too many people really want Pence, (laughs) say the same thing with George H.W. Bush, he took Dan Quayle, like the dumbest guy alive, you know, so they seem to understand that if if, if the guy who's going to take over for you is a favorite of these, you know, powerful uh, interests, special interests, you're at risk, and so uh, you know, John, uh, Kennedy did the exact wrong thing. He took this old boy who was part of the system, and he was a rebel. So with, 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 with Bush, um, he gets Reagan to take him for some reason, and within weeks, you know, and by the way, he now has to cool his heels for eight years. This was a very impatient young man on the rise. He was gonna have to wait eight years to become president, and probably thought, was thinking, you know, I'm not very electable, I don't do very well in elections. Uh, I mean, he barely won his first term. Uh, so, you know, he, w- he would have been concerned about But, I mean, the fact of the matter is that the Hinckleys were close with the Bushes. We've documented that. And, in fact, there was a story the next day or that night. It aired on NBC News and then it vanished because somebody called somebody. The story was that the Bushes knew the Hinckleys very well and that, in fact, that night or the next night, John Hinckley's brother was supposed to have dinner with Neil Bush. Now, I don't know what you're going to make of that, but you cannot be a serious human being unless you at least consider uh these factors. I mean, any scientist, any researcher, any detective would always consider proximity, uh whatever they say means, opportunity, motive. You know, I mean, you have to look at these things and at least consider them.
1: So then, so then, um... Is John Hinckley Jr. responsible for shooting the president? Is he is he not responsible? Was he brainwashed? Was he bribed, paid? Like, what was the motivating factor for him?
3: Well, I don't know. I mean, he was, uh, Sorry, I understand it, mentally ill, um, and he was in treatment. But, you know, it's very interesting because these centers they send them to, a whole bunch of people who tried to shoot presidents were went through this St. Elizabeth's, uh... in washington dc and you know if you study the history of the mk ultra program the cia's program for mind control experimentation which was massively documented by the uh... senate uh, uh... special committee uh, investigating uh, intelligence operations run by Senator Frank Church in the 70s. They had testimony from Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, the head of technical services and so on, about their uses of LX, LSD and other psychotropic drugs. Or they were, they were trying to see if you could get somebody to do things when, the, uh, when they were in an altered state or were unaware of it. They, of course, they would put a benign spin. We're just doing this because the Soviets are doing it. We're trying to understand this. But, you know, they were definitely experimenting with things. They were heavy into hypnosis. Uh, Sir Hans. Sirhan, uh, according to a Harvard-trained psychiatrist who spent uh, days and days with Sirhan in his cell, was one of the most hypnotizable people he had ever seen. There's a whole story with Sirhan about this so-called girl in a polka dot dress who supposedly uh, 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 plied him with drinks and then pinched him hard and he went into some kind of a reverie. I Look, I don't know. I mean this stuff all sounds fantastic, but if you watch Netflix or anything, I mean, this is the stuff they make great fiction out of. And the reason they make great fiction out of it is because we can't stand it as nonfiction. The only safe way to do it is through fiction. And by the way, I have to tell you that some of my biggest fans are these people who create the movies that massive audiences go to see. And, you know, it's just escapism for them, but they're reading it and they're thinking, uh, I know that these kinds of things do go on. How come this hasn't happened
1: is, with Trump yeah. yet? I mean, you, you, have, you have a president here who's really rattling a lot of cages, um, at least it seems that way, of the establishment, which is a lot of powerful people. I mean, is there, um, you know, how come this hasn't happened with him?
3: Well, I don't know the answer to that, but you have to understand that the Reagan thing happened within uh, weeks of him taking office but not all of these attempts did some of them happened after people have been in office for years uh you know Kennedy'd been in office for what uh, two and a half years already uh almost 3 years uh when he was uh, when he was shot so i don't know that there's any rule on this um, and i have to say also as far as trump goes trump is very much a friend of the wealthy um, you have to remember i mean his tax uh so-called tax cuts uh, his attitude toward regulation. I mean, he, this is something, this is how terrible the media is. They don't talk about this. Trump is a very wealthy man and almost everything he does is in the interest of the wealthy, the only factor is he's so kooky and so uh 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 so uh controversial that certainly some wealthy people don't like him and think that he's a problem but you know they're trying to balance out their own financial interests for the fact that they'd rather have more stability and less uh, less controversy. And, and, you know, listen, I'm, I'm not saying that most powerful interests or wealthy people would, would, would be party to something. I guess I think most people have some kind of conscience that wouldn't do it, but it only takes one and they, they decide, uh, when it's feasible and when the timing is right. And you also have to remember that the public, thanks to, I don't want to say just my book, but hundreds of other books and so on, uh, a certain portion of the public, uh, if you look at most polls, it shows that, uh, a, a clear majority of Americans do not accept the, uh... the version put out by the establishment about the john f kennedy shooting or or these others the majority believe there's more to the story uh... the house select committee on assassinations this is a house committee in the late seventies in their report uh, they concluded that it was a that the that the kennedy assassination was pr- a probable conspiracy involving multiple people they did not rule out a role with with uh, of of Oswald but they said that they felt there were more people involved probably more shooters that's the house of representatives so uh you know the public is aware of these things and i think that those who, who do this stuff learn uh kennedy i think they deliberately killed kennedy in public in order to shock everyone and send a message but there was so much pushback For so many years, and the fact that almost 60 years later, we're still talking about it, still investigating it. (laughs) They learned their lesson. This was not the way to go. In Family of Secrets, you can read about what happened to Richard Nixon, and I think that shows my integrity and the integrity of uh, my news organization that we're not partisan because I I personally certainly never thought much of Richard Nixon, but when I started investigating him and how he was removed from office in Watergate, I discovered again that the academia and the textbook people and media, again, they didn't do their job. And the story that they tell you, that whole fairy tale with Woodward and Bernstein and the heroic and how well the system worked and the Senate investigation, is a cock-up. And that Richard Nixon, in fact, was removed by the same people who removed Kennedy and for the same reason. He was pissing off the sugar lobby, uh, the, he wouldn't go along on the oil imports, uh, he was opening relations with China and Russia that would not been sanctioned by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It, this shows you this is not a partisan issue. It's about understanding that when you're president, you operate, uh, at the pleasure of those who are uh, around for a much longer time than you are, and you better be careful. And I will tell you that in private conversation, Barack Obama and uh, Bill Clinton and everyone else have acknowledged to people around them that they couldn't take on the military, they couldn't take on the CIA, and they left that alone, and they pursue domestic agendas. That's why those wars continue everywhere, because it's all about resources. It's all about uh, the, the advantage Uh, to certain elements of the United States and they want to keep on plundering and so they, they're told, forget it, this is all off limits. You can do your gay marriage, you can do your, uh, you know, your so-called welfare reform, you can do other things. These are these sort of hot button social issues that most Americans uh, consume themselves with. There's almost no discussion of climate change, uh, of the fact that the United States has, I think they're bombing in six countries right now. It's, now. it's not covered at all. It's just invisible. And our system and all these high and mighty intellectuals who are supposed to be telling us with their analysis, they don't touch any of this. Stuff. Very few of them touch any of this.
2: Yeah, it's true. Actually, we have uh, Lisa Peace coming on next week.
3: Um, oh, great. Well, give it. her my regard. And tell her I plugged her book. Yeah, because <laughs> we're, we're we're not we're not good friends, but we know each other, and I'd like her to know that I that I appreciate her work.
2: Yeah, yeah, it should. And, and Paul uh, DeBoli, the professor, that's uh, his book comes out in April, and he's saying that it's much the same about Sirhan, uh, except for he's saying that the other person that shot RFK um, there has they covered for that person, and his book in April is supposed to give us that person's name. I guess. <laughs>
3: we'll yeah, I mean, it. I know a few. There, I know a few names. There are a few names that are out there, and uh, I couldn't tell you if they had anything to do with it or not. I'm, I'm actually very careful. Believe it or not, to, yeah. despite the explosive nature, of what I'm telling you, I'm an incredibly careful person. I have no position on any of these things until I see. My book is almost entirely written with documents that came from the bushes.
2: Yeah. Well, then that's the way. Yeah, then that's the way things should be done, right?
3: I think so.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you want some some ev- some evidence, you know? For for me, anyway, I just well, uh, it's been it's been great. Now we have your website linked to ours as well, so people can go to it, and also your your book, Bush Family of Secrets. So you can yeah. Just but, go.
3: By the way, the correct, the correct title of the, of the of the book is just Family of Secrets.
2: Oh, okay. Um, thank you, and. Um, that's great. Now, do so you have any contact information or anything that you want people to have about you?
3: Sure. Well, uh, I founded a nonprofit, non-commercial news website called Who, What, Why. Uh, because we're a nonprofit, it's whowhatwhy.org. dot uh, org, and. Um, we exist to serve the public. We don't take any advertising, any money from corporations or unions or anything like that. Uh, and it's all funded by uh, members of the public, and we always invite people to support us. Otherwise, we can't do our work. Uh, and we also uh, encourage skilled volunteers who bring certain skill sets and can help us out. Uh, always looking for uh, uh, writers, Um and uh, you sign up for our mailing list. We've got a Twitter feed and a Facebook, uh, and then uh, I I have my own, which is a personal one where I can be a little snarkier, which is real Russ Baker. Um, and uh, yeah, and and we love to love to hear from people. There's a contact form if you want to contact us with ideas or questions. We're very much a transparent operation, and we. We, uh, we, we, we don't think we know all the answers, and we love to get tips from people. And, uh, you know, it's got to be a two-way street in order to do that job effectively.
2: Well, thank you very much for being on the show, Russ Baker.
3: Thank you very much.
1: To find out more about our show,
3: guests, or to
1: listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now.